friend and brother, Mr. James Fortune. Come on and say amen for him as we come. Come on, Lighthouse, you can do better than that. Come on, come on. So we got, well, I, I refer to him, we call him Jay Forch. Uh, you know, that's the, the, the hood colloquialism. But for the sake of our conversation today, we will refer to him as James. And so uh, Brother James is here with us today. And uh, this ought to be a good conversation. This ought to be a good conversation. I have known James for years, known him for years. And I, I see a different James than, um, than I knew, uh, that I, than I knew. And, um, you know, church folk, uh, we gossip. And so it ain't like you don't know. Uh, what happened? You you know you you already formed your opinion about it, and you and your girlfriends and talked about it, and you and your homeboys and talked about it. So unless you've been living under a rock, um, you know what we're going to talk about today. So today's discussion is called Destiny Derailed, and and I want to talk with him and to anybody in this room who can admit that on your way to destiny, something happened and got you off track, right? Right, we've all had something to get us off track, but it's not, see, where you are has nothing to do with where you're going. And I'm here to tell you and show you through this brother that it is possible that if you do what you need to do, that God will help you to pick up the pieces and get you right back on track. Have I got anybody in here today? So if you are perfect and you've never done anything, and, and then just, just go ahead and, and, and uh, dismiss yourself, because you're probably not going to like this one. And I always say that there is a difference between perfect and uncaught. Yeah. Um, if you were famous, you'd already be done. The only reason why you still got your job is you're not famous. Amen. Touch your, just raise your hand if I'm talking to you. If you were famous and they were reading your text messages and, and checking your garbage can and looking at your internet history. So we've got two-time Grammy-nominated gospel recording phenomenon, Mr. James Fortune. Uh, and let me just read some. Well, he, he graduated, is it Kempner High School? Yeah, he gra anybody graduate from there? I think so. I never heard of it myself. Out there in Sugar Land. Uh, and uh, he, he was a, a choir director. If you all remember, uh, I don't, he wasn't a choir director. He was a, the leader of ministry over there at High Dimension with Pastor Terrence Johnson for some time. Uh, and let, let me look at this career. James Fortune. Uh, had let me just see if y'all remember some of these songs you remember you survive yeah. uh, the transformation encore how many y'all remember encore now that one got me through some stuff I believe yeah. oh my god boy the Lord gave you that song I believe uh, identity grace gift how many y'all remember live through it yeah. what's that song you and Zaccardi uh, Zaccardi song uh, what is it let your power oh god let me tell you we sung that in here for 12 weeks straight one sunday uh that i used to listen to that song every single day man how i mean what kind of relationship must you have with god for him to give you all of that all of those songs and all that wow. man? Uh, first of all let me say uh lighthouse family thank y'all for having me it's good to be here first time in this beautiful beautiful building um you know I, i've been i was just tremendously blessed the favor of god i went through some things um early in my, in my um, career and in my life. And uh, the song, uh, one of the first songs that a lot of people knew me from was I Trust You. Uh, if they didn't know you survived, I trust you. And of course, that's when me and my family uh, were homeless and kind of just God gave me that message. We were in a motel room one night and just, you know, James, you got to be able to trust me even when you don't know why you're going through what you're going through. And uh, that song, I Trust You, has been one that's uh, blessed so many people. But songwriting, I've just kind of always um, written songs through my journey, you know, through my, my, my ups, through my downs, uh, through different things in my life. And I just thank God that he gave me the gift because I definitely can't take the credit for it. Uh, the gift comes from him, and I'm glad that it's been something that's been able to be a blessing to so many people, really all over the world. Isn't it true? Um, 
sometimes when you write songs, there's a propensity of people to believe, oh, he wrote this song because, you know, he's going through that. And uh, or, or from a preacher's perspective, sometimes when you write a sermon, uh, it's the direct opposite. People don't think you write sermons because you live through it. They think yeah. you write sermons at them. Yeah. And they don't recognize that you have to read the sermon before you can preach the sermon. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, right? absolutely. Right? And, and that's what... That's what happens, you know, we, we, we go through things as writers, as ministers, whatever, you know, our gifts are that we're using for God's glory. And sometimes God knows that he has to place us in, in particular situations that may be uncomfortable, uh, may not be what we want, but God knows there's something inside of us that he's trying to get out of us. Uh, and that's what happens. That's part of the, the responsibility that we have, that when we do go through things, we have to share. We got to let them know, listen, it ain't perfect. I ain't, you know, I, I was homeless. I went through this. I went through that. And of course, even what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, that's I feel like that's our responsibility to be transparent and let people know the same God that brought me out the same God that redeemed me uh, the same God that did it for me can do the same thing for you well, well well let's get right into it you know on the area of transparency I, I remember man and and I want to thank you for coming I remember watching television one day and there was a, a article uh, well you know the subtext came across the screen and, and I wrote it down it said um, gospel singer James Fortune admits I was an abuser after being sentenced for bone-breaking assault on wife and when I saw that man if you remember I text you right away and the reason why I didn't call is because I knew you were getting a whole lot of calls and 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 words don't mean much when when you're cloudy so I text you and let you know man I'm here um, but 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 I have to be honest man I, I didn't know what to believe I didn't know what to be because the James I knew and the James that I know, me psychologically, I, I couldn't connect that they would. So immediately I thought something's not right. You yeah. know, something, something's untrue. And then you came out and admitted that you did it without getting into too much detail. Can you take us to the day where things derailed you where your destiny was derailed when things got off track where, where it got rough absolutely for you. and first of all i do want to say and, and that was the christian christian post uh website that posted yeah. that and that was false there was no uh bone breaking assault there was no um bar stool we don't even own a bar stool um but i was guilty uh of, of assaulting my wife now i want to say this when we talk about where it began when I went into, when I went, I pled guilty. Like, why you play guilty? I said, because I am guilty. I'm not guilty of what the media said, but I'm guilty of being abusive in my relationship. And that was hard for me because I struggled. I struggled with this whole thing of praying to God, like, because all the professionals were telling me, don't talk about it. Just, you know, forget about it. Don't admit to it. Just, just write some more songs and people will forget, you know, forget all about it. Um, but as I wrestled with that, God told me, he said, I want you to share your story. He said, it's so the church is so silent on domestic violence and, and we hide under this whole submission thing and we hide under all these other things. He said, I want you to speak out about it. And so he took me to Mark chapter three and in Mark chapter three, um, and I kind of shared it with you the other day we talked, there was a man sitting in the sanctuary uh, with a withered hand. And the Bible says, Jesus told him, he was there, he said, come to the front of the sanctuary. Well, when he gets to the front of the sanctuary, Jesus tells him, he said, now stretch out your hand. He didn't tell him which hand to stretch out. The man had one good hand, but he stretched out his withered hand and as he stretched that hand out uh, his hand was healed and God began to tell me said James I'm not gonna heal what you're afraid to reveal he said because because the problem the problem is is that many times we come and we want to give God our strengths but what God is really wow. drawn to is our weaknesses wow. now and so when we give God our weakness he then in turn gives us his strength so so for me it was it was like God, I hear you, and I begin to talk about it. And so when I was going through therapies, I've been in for uh, almost two years now. I went in there because I thought, you know, I lost my temper, uh, and I just, I lost control. Got in the class, and, and the first thing that my therapist told me, she said, she said, James, domestic violence is not about anger. Domestic violence is about power and control. It's about one person using different tactics to try to control the other person. If you look at the power and control wheel, there's 18 forms of abuse and the last one on that is the physical abuse because before the usually before the physical starts there's there's emotional abuse there's verbal abuse there's psychological abuse so when you talk about where it started from me I really can't tell you where it started but I know the issue was worse than what I thought it was once I really discovered what abuse really was looking at things like 
uh, talking to, we did a, a survey with 200 women uh, who had been through domestic violence. They had been through um, physical abuse as well as psychological abuse. And all 200 of these women said the same thing. They all said that the psychological abuse had a, a worse long-term effect on them than the actual physical abuse did. The post-traumatic stress disorder, the mental trauma that they went through, they still haven't healed from uh, to this day. So as I began to learn about the abuse, I had a controlling problem. And what would happen was when I didn't feel like I had control, uh, that's when I would lose control. And so the first step mm. for me was... Hold on, stop right there, because see, you can't just browse through that. Yeah. You just can't browse through that. And, 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 and he just says something that I think that we all um, can attest to, that when we are not in control, we lose control, right? How many of you all know, know what that feeling feels like when you, when you can't control a situation, then you lose control? So, so we're all guilty of your feelings, maybe not all guilty of your reaction. Yeah, exactly. But every person in here has been at the place where somebody was on the verge of getting hurt mm -hmm. because we couldn't control or manipulate the circumstance and the situation. Yeah. Now, you said something about OCD, and I said this uh, in the sermon recently, James. O uh, uh, the OCD, or the, the feeling or the need to have everything in order, yeah. comes from uh, the ramifications or is the offspring of not being in order on the inside. Absolutely. And so what we do is we straighten up everything on the outside yeah, yeah. to try to tell or make people feel that the way things look on the outside of me yeah. is the way things look on the inside, on the inside of me. And, and the correlation is sometimes your house can be clean, but your building is dirty. Dirty, yes, yes. D does that make sense? And, and I think that if some of us would vacuum our attitude and if we were comex our perspective, yeah, yeah. and if we were fabuloso our opinion, <laughs> come on, help me somebody. Yeah. That, that's why the Bible says, create in me a clean heart. Yeah. See, I, I think that, that, that perhaps you've been guilty of something I don't want to get too often, but I just, I just felt that you couldn't browse through that because, see, some people lose control. And just because you don't put your hands on somebody don't mean you didn't abuse them. Notice he said there are 18 forms and the 18th one is physical. Yeah. is physical abuse. And I, I wonder, I wonder how you felt yeah. sitting at your house being blamed by people who were guilty of the same thing you were guilty of. And I sat at home and my wife would tell you, we pray for you by name, man. Yeah. We pray for you by name because I said, He's being judged by people who've done what he's done, but because they don't have any light, yeah, yeah, yeah. it doesn't show. Where did you receive your worst pain? Was it from the world or was it from the church? Um, for me, the, there was, um, it, was, it was definitely the church. And I, and I say that because um, for the first time in, I know in my life, I was um, not that I didn't feel welcome at church, I was told by pastors I wasn't even allowed at their church uh, even to worship. And, and for me, um, I, started, I started playing the drum at church when I was five for my dad's church. All I knew was church, church ministry. And so to be separated, and, and, and I'm sharing this, not, I'm not the victim here, but I'm letting somebody know what, abuse is not a mistake. It's wrong, but a mistake by definition is something that's done unintentional. Abuse is a choice that you make. You choose to be abusive. You don't accidentally abuse somebody. So, so I'm not the victim, but, but I'm letting you know about what your choices can do. Being separated from my children, being separated from my wife, being separated from the household of faith, where I felt like I couldn't even come to church because everybody, even when I did go, everybody had something to say, everybody had something to, to, um, to look at me or say. But, but the hardest thing for me um, was uh, my son came to me, he said, Dad, I, I worry about you. Uh, he's 10, he said, because uh, I see a lot of things that they write about you, that they put on your pages, on your social media, and he's saying, you know, sometimes I worry about you. And I told him, I said, James, um, I can't control what other people have to say about me. My therapist, one thing she helped me with, she says, you can't control people, may, they may never forgive you, may never trust you again. She said, because the excessive need to be forgiven is another controlling behavior. 
you'll find yourself doing things because you're trying to control other people's opinion of you. And that's what got you in the situation that you're in right now. So, wow. So, so you, you, you can't make them forgive you. you Hold on. No, 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 no. You can't just, <laughs> you just, you just can't say stuff like that. <laughs> like you ain't, did y'all hear that? So then, we have the propensity to have a problem and to solve our next problem by the same behavior that caused the first problem. The first problem, the control. Which is why you'll be in a relationship and you'll break the relationship off and then find yourself in another relationship where John reminds you of Larry. And it ain't nothing wrong with John and Larry. They were the way they were when you met them. Something's wrong with your decision making. And when you don't heal. Now, now I've heard psychologists say this, and maybe, maybe you've never been asked this question, and, and maybe you can answer it today. They say that all behavior that we expound in our adulthood comes from a pain that we experience between the ages of 2 and 12. Okay? Um, were you abused as a child? I was not abused as a child. Do you remember anything? What is your most painful memory um, if you can remember between ages 2 and 12? Um, my parents got divorced when I was 7. Um, that was painful and um, they separated. It was, a, you know, my dad was a pastor um, and so it was, that, that was difficult and because when it happened um, it was just, it was, it was very hard without going into it but it was very, very difficult. But for me, even when you talk about, yeah, everybody's, most people have probably you know, made mistakes and more people have done this or maybe some stuff in my history. What I've chose to focus on is not to focus so much on other people's behavior because as long as you spend time and energy worried about what somebody else's behavior is, it prevents you from correcting your own behavior. So while instead of, there's four things that stop you from being accountable. As an abuser, there's four things that stop you from being accountable and getting the help you need. Minimizing, justifying, blaming, and denying. Those four defenses to accountability is what we like to do in different forms that stops them from being able to say, you know what, I'm the problem, I'm the issue. Whatever happened in my past, whatever might have you know, happened before in my life, whatever anybody else in the church might have done, focusing on that doesn't help James become a better person. Focusing on James' issue, his controlling behaviors, and some of his triggers and red flags and physical cues, those are the things that I had to focus on to take those steps into becoming better. When you said something about uh, your parents' divorce, you said without getting into it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm asking, have you, have, you, have you blocked the experience? No. The, 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 what really did not get into it part was just the, the, being with my dad, wanting to be with my mom. Being with my mom, wanting to be with my dad. Just as a kid, dealing with that struggle. That was the most painful part. Uh, both of my parents, you know, they were awesome parents. I was never abused. I never, I never saw any abuse. I never saw their issues like that. Uh, but the, the divorce was, was hard. Because I think sometimes what we see manifests itself mm -hmm. uh, in ways that we can't calculate. Yeah. Most behavior uh, comes out of rejection. Okay. Most, most behavior comes out of rejection. And, and rejection doesn't necessarily mean somebody comes out and says, I don't want you. Sometimes you can perceive yourself to be rejected by somebody who hasn't expressed that they reject you. In other, way, in other words, uh, perhaps um, you're angry with somebody over something you thought they said or, or what you perceived they meant or what you thought happened. And now you've built a synopsis on something about which you have no proof. Now, when you build a synopsis up on something you have no proof, then your reaction is based on a false reality, which is why your problem never gets solved in your reaction because the reaction is based on something that does not exist, right? So the fact that he was not abused or the fact that he never saw it doesn't mean that the behavior didn't come out of the separation. Can you imagine being a little kid and, and living with your mom one day and living with your dad the next day? And can you imagine, this is, when, the, when people get divorced, uh, they don't say good things about the person they just got divorced from. 
So can you imagine, and I'm not saying this is his situation, but some of you all, can you imagine being at the father's house and him saying, your mom ain't no good? And then going over to mama house and your daddy, he cheated on me and he did this and I had to leave him and, and da da da. And so now, now, now they're trying to raise you not to be like the person they left. Y'all been listening to what I'm telling you. Now, now, they're, now they're trying to raise you not to be like the person you left, they left, thereby denying the very person who you are. Because being a bad husband doesn't necessarily mean I'm a bad father. Okay, so being a bad husband doesn't uh, necessarily mean I'm a bad father, but to the person I divorced, I'm bad at everything. Y'all not listen. I don't know. I don't know if y'all get what I'm saying. And so, can you imagine the conversations he had, heard, that he probably didn't understand as a young man, that hid in the corridors of his mind, that he was left to build opinions about. And, and, and one thing about your parents' generation, our parents' generation, they don't talk about nothing. When, when they mess up, listen, if there's anybody in here that's 60, 70, 80 years old, if they that old, uh, they can have a family across town. And you better not say nothing about it. And them old school players have the nerve to say, yep, I got another one, and you better not say nothing. These 2015 girls don't roll like that. I mean... My wife got mad at me because my grandmama named Beauty Irvin. She said, who you calling Beauty? I said, that's my grandmama. <laughs> I'm, that's a true story. My grandmother's name is Beauty Irvin. One day, my mama and I said something. I said, Beauty. And she came around the corner and said, who you calling Beauty? I said, uh, my granny. <laughs> you, got, you, you did an interview on uh, uh, CBN. Um, and, and, and that was a good interview and, and you said these words, you said, I was a predator, uh, a predator, domestic violence. Is this mic going in and out? A perpetrator. A perpetrator, okay, a perpetrator. Tell me, tell me what you meant when you said that. Um, just the different, you know, some of the different forms of abuse um, that I was able to identify, um, that I was able to go male privilege. A lot of it comes to from a belief system. See. And, and domestic violence class or batter's intervention, we, we focus more on um, changing the, the behavior and the belief system. So a lot of it comes from, you know, for instance, let me give you a form of, of abuse. There's 18, I'll just give you one, economic abuse. That's somebody keeping or preventing another person from having or keeping a job. Basically, they want to control the money to try to control the person, uh, making them ask for money, putting them on an allowance. I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about being financially responsible, but um, looking at things like emotional abuse, uh, talking down, uh, tearing the person down, making the person feel bad about who they are, changing the perspective of who they are, which then changes who they are, changes their whole sense of reality. So for me, as I was able to look at these different forms of abuse, I was like, man, that's, that was me. You know, I, I was, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, oh, I lost my temper or one time. It was like I was, I had a controlling problem which made me be abusive in different ways that I didn't even, even know at the time that I've been able to discover since then. Um, but when I realized that, that was part of the whole accountability thing is that I had to, first of all, be aware of my issue and then I had to accept my issue before I could ever move forward uh, and start the healing process from it. So, so take me into your house. You're, you're on the top of every chart. Uh -huh. You are at somebody's church five days a week, five cities a week, every time you turn the radio on, James Fortune this, James Fortune that, everybody wants you to come, they're paying you to come, your income is rising, you the man. You're, you're gospel's number one guy. This one situation happens, yeah. and you're off the tracks. Yeah. Take us into your house at those moments when you felt like you had to live through it. Um, well, I, was, I wasn't in my house, I was at jail. Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't at home. Uh, um, home away from home, miss. <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah. So, um, but but it was it was it was um, man. It was when I was in that cell that 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 first night when I realized. Um, you know, I mean, of course, I knew who I was when I first got to jail. I mean, people were, oh, that's changed for you know, the sheriffs and cops and, and some of the inmates. And so, you know, I knew how bad um, it was, obviously, but 
it was just, I feel like I didn't really have a reason to live when I got out and, you know, I lost my job at the radio station and, you know, all of my contracts were canceled um, for concerts I had and, um, um, you know, my, my family had to move out of the house we were in and, you know, I moved in with my dad and um, mm. um, dealing with the criminal side of it and um, not being able to see my kids and, you know, um, my son, my kids FaceTiming me and I can't answer because part of my bond is I can't have any contact with them. Um, none of them for, for the first like hundred, day, however many days. Um, and so I had a whole, I remember I had a whole bottle of Xanax because um, I had got some antidepressants and I, I was sitting in my room. And I was just like, man, I, I just, I just don't want to live anymore. And I, I was gonna take the whole bottle of Xanax. I had already made up in my mind. I was like, you know, and God told me, he said, he said, James, you, you've been telling everybody else to trust God. And you've been telling everybody else to believe and to live through it. He said, this is not the end for you. You're not gonna die right here. He said, I know it looks bleak. I know it looks hard. I know it looks like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. He said, but just like you've been telling everybody else, he said, you're going to live through this. And you're going to live through it to declare the works of the Lord and be able to be a witness and a testimony to somebody else that it's not over, that it's not the end, that when people write you off, God keeps on writing, uh, that your story's not over. Uh, and so it was kind of like my moment uh, because I'm telling you, I, I just can't even imagine... Um, even how how I made it through that. I mean, it was it was you know uh, October of 2014, but just how I just made it. I, I never could imagine having strength to be able to go on after that. Having strength after you know being with my wife for 16 years. You know, and y'all know we worked together in ministry, and I mean we were traveling together, everything like, and just having it all taken from you because of a because of a a 15 second decision that you made. Uh, and just that fast, all the years of working, all the sacrifices, all the concerts, all the ministry, all the, the, the all of that just taken away that quick is that's that's a derailment. That is a derailment. And so for me, it was I didn't have a lot of people to talk to because um, um, it, it, it's 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 it's. Um, You, you, just feel, you just feel like you're not even worthy. You just feel like you, you, you don't even deserve um, God's grace anymore. You just feel like, you know what, I did this, I did this to myself and it took people, people were praying for me um, when I didn't have the strength to pray for myself. Uh, people were interceding for me uh, when I didn't even have the, 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 the strength of the words to even be able to call out to God. Like I felt like I didn't even deserve to talk to God in that moment. Um, and that was, that was by far the hardest time of my life. The hardest time by far. Because every other storm I had gone through as an adult since I was 21, I, I had my family with me every time. This was the first time I was by myself. You know, you just said something. I, I think it's a point of ministry for those of y'all who are out there. The Bible says that the devil uh, goes uh, to and fro seeking whom he may devour. Yeah. And I heard you say it, and just out of curiosity, is there anybody in this room that's ever got to the place, if you'll just be honest, where you felt like, man, I don't even want to live anymore. It's just, what's my purpose? You see, let me tell you something about the devil. For the Christian, death is a reward. You see? Death, so what the devil knows, he, he doesn't kill you. He actually leaves you alive because don't you ever forget this for people of vision and favor destruction is worse than death <laughs> he goes to and fro seeking whom he may destroy see the devil knows that if he destroys you you will kill you so he leaves the killing up to you and he takes care of the destruction. Yeah. Wow. So, so that's what's happening in some of your life right now. That's why everything is topsy-turvy, upside down, and disarrayed. Because the devil, he doesn't want to kill you. He wants you to actually live. He wants to destroy you so that you'll kill yourself. Whether it be emotionally, psychologically, or spiritually. And some of you all are dealing with that right now. 
I, I can look right in your faces and I can see how you, you are akin to this, this pain of knowing what it feels like to be in a room or to be in a space or to be in a head space where you don't want to live, where you have no purpose, where the devil has made you feel like you don't deserve God's grace. And the very fact that God died on the cross, listen, even for those of us who have never done what James has done, you don't deserve his grace either. See, here is the problem. The problem is, is that there is this group of people who think that because they haven't done what the other person has done, that they deserve grace. Nobody in this place deserves their grace. And the Bible says that to every man, God gives what? A measure of grace. So you don't know how much grace he will give you, but none of us are deserving of that grace. And I want to let you know, man, and I say this boldly, and I know there will be people who disagree, and I speak this into your life. You have never done anything that was not deserving of the grace of God. He died on the cross. He died on the cross for, for what you did. And I think that, and you mark my words, you mark my words, and, and I speak this prophetically into your life because I'm sure that sometimes you still feel like people are not going to bring you and that you're not going to have the opportunities that you have. I'm telling you that big name people, big opportunities are going to still come. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. And you mark that I said it. The reason why it's going to happen is because you went through the process. You went through the process. You went through the process. I've heard you say, I'm not the victim. I did it. I'm guilty. I'm not the victim. I, see, some folk are wrong and won't admit it. And God can trust you now with opportunities that are even, I'll speak it into your life, even bigger than the ones you lost because he will never put more on you than you can bear. And the James you were could only bear what you had. But God is coming, and he is coming quickly and swiftly. And he's, and he's going to bring you some opportunities, and he's going to put you back in spaces, places, and stages where you will say, if it had not been, it was good that I was afflicted. It was good that I was afflicted. Son, don't you put your head down. I want you to lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory is getting ready to come in. You will get back on track, I speak it in your life in the name of Jesus I speak it in your life in the name of Jesus be not weary and well-doing for you will reap a harvest if you faint not and I speak that to you know what I bind the spirit of judgmentalism in the church I bind it in the name of Jesus yes he is wrong what he did was unfit but by his stripes we are healed and that does not mean only in the physical it also means in the spiritual in the supernatural I find your baby say you're already forgiven you're already forgiven you're already forgiven Just ask God a question. Say, is there anything too hard for God? God can forgive you for your mistakes, your mishaps, your mess-ups, your attitude, your tempers. I'm just glad that God ain't like people. And the reason why I'm saying that is because you don't know when you're going to need. Hmm. Yeah, you keep on acting like that because you ain't done it yet. All of us in here crazy enough to let 15 seconds to get us off track. And I don't know about you, and I don't ever want to be that wrong. But if I am, I want to know, can I still go to the rock? I don't know how in the world a pastor can say that an abuser is not welcome in his church. See, just because I haven't abused women don't mean I ain't abused something. Come on, talk to me, somebody. And I didn't mean to do all of that. I just, I wanted to lift your spirits because I can see it. I can see it, man. I can see, I've been knowing you long. I can see it in your eyes, the worry. Well, God's got this, man. He's got this. And there are people like me. See, you know why you're sitting here with me? Because I need grace too. You're sitting here with me because I need grace. Nowhere in the world I would ever say you can't come here because of a situation like that. And you and I have talked. I'm in total disagreement with it. I've said to him, totally wrong but it ain't my job and neither church is it yours 
I got Bible. He who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And the Bible says God bends down in the dust and he begins to write. And the old theologian said that what he did was he started to write the sins of the men who had the rocks in the sand. And when they saw their name and they sin, they dropped their rock. Don't you make God put you on TV and have God put you on the internet site for you to drop your rock. Slap somebody say drop your rock right now. Hallelujah. And listen, and he knows this. Cheryl is my friend. Cheryl is my friend. And, and, and my heart goes out to her. And she was wronged. And she was hurt. And she was abused. And she did not deserve it. That's a fact. But what I admire most about you that you got the guts to stand up and said, I did it. And I'm going to live through it. Why don't you spend about 30 seconds encouraging somebody and let them know that they can live through it. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's amazing how God is able to, my real testimony tonight, y'all, is that he kept me. Um, that's, oh, that's, that's, oh, God. Oh, that's, God. That, that's, Just touch somebody and say, he kept me. He kept me. He kept me. Has God ever kept anybody in this place today? I want you to high five everybody you can reach and say, you're looking at somebody who's been kept. You're looking at somebody who's been kept. I don't have time to tell you all I've been through because y'all going to be talking about it. I don't have time, but he kept me. Tell somebody, he kept me. He kept me. That's when I when I felt like I didn't have anything else. Um, I still had a praise. It, it was God told me, He said, if, if 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 you can't if you don't feel comfortable praising at church, y'all, some of my best shouts happened in my bedroom when when everything I owned was in one room and. And I begin to say, I will bless the Lord. David didn't need a platform to give God praise. And that's why even some of y'all right now, you shout and giving God praise and you don't care who looks at you crazy because you know if it hadn't been for the grace and mercy of God. That's why can't nobody stop your shout. That's why can't nobody stop your praise. Because after all that you survived, after all that you went through, all that you shout is wrong because I had to cry. All that you shout is wrong because I had to spill through what I went through. Somebody ought to take 30 seconds and just give God that he kept me for his Come on, he, I was wrong, but he kept me. The enemy had me focus in Lighthouse uh, over all the stuff I lost. Uh, and God told me, he said, James, if you can praise me for what you got left uh, and stop worrying about what you lost, he said, I'm going to replace what you lost times two. Somebody in the room right now, the enemy's been messing with your mind because you lost some stuff. But God said, can you shout right now for what you got left? Come on, somebody say, I still got my mind. I still got a pulse. 
riding in the car with my son because uh, the enemy likes us to get stressed out over stuff we can't change uh, and he makes us worry over stuff that we can't fix and and so and so pastor Keon, one of my favorite scriptures philippians chapter 4 verse 6 you know paul says be anxious for nothing uh, he say don't worry about nothing he say but pray about everything and so y'all i look back at my son he was frustrated he was worried i said james what's wrong uh, he said daddy my headphones are broken so y'all i got him i snapped him back together i gave him back to him he was excited because daddy had fixed his problem well y'all about a week later his headphones broke again y'all but this time he wasn't tripping uh, and this time he wasn't worried uh, because he could remember about a week ago <laughs> he had a problem like this and he gave it to his daddy and his daddy fixed it for him so y'all you know what he did do like lighthouse he just looked at me and said daddy do it again he said daddy fix it again he said daddy do what you did about a week ago come here lighthouse this ain't the first time you've been in trouble and the same God that brought you through the last time I double dare you to open up your mouth and say God do it again God fix it again God turn my situation around God heal my mind God take back my joy somebody say encore God's gonna do it again James I, last question and, and, and we're gonna get out of here because I see oh I feel glory and I see like I'm, I'm seeing the Holy Ghost I, I'm not just feeling I see see something just happened something just happened and, and what it is, is it's a corporate shattering. It's a corporate shattering because God delivers us and inspires us through people. Amen. I, I wanted to know, and this is the last question we're going to go, what, what's the biggest change you experienced? What's the biggest change through this whole thing? Because one thing I get is, uh, and, and you know, Twitter, what is that, 140 characters? And so I'll put a quote up and say, God said, da-da-da. And I always get somebody says, yeah, I hear what you said, but how? Yeah. And there's not enough characters on Twitter to explain how. Yeah. I want you to tell people what's the biggest change that this situation brought you. Um, the biggest change it's brought me, I can say by far, is, is the mindset that I had. Realizing that the only time I can really be in control is of myself is that when I actually lose control that's when I give up my power but that you actually have your power when you can be in control of yourself that 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 I understand that I can sit around when something happens and have negative self-talk because it's not somebody else talking it's just a lot of time we we make things worse you ever went zero to a hundred not because of something they said but you just start you remember what they said you start thinking about it, like i should have told her i should i wish i would go and so instead of instead of be, is that i can control my thoughts my feelings and my actions nobody can make me do anything nobody can take my joy nobody can mess up my day nobody can make me go off that i control my thoughts my feelings and my actions based on my perspective and if I, and when i begin to understand that i said i don't i don't i don't i don't have to be in control i told my therapist this i said i don't want to go through this this therapy and this class uh and 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 come out i'm not going i'm not going to be controlling no more i'm not going to be abusive because i don't want to go i don't want to go to jail I said, I want to really 
have a change. I want to really be able to break this whole gender training. We've been trained that, you know, we can't express our emotions. And even as little boys, stop crying. You acting like a little girl. So even as a boy, we suppress those feelings. We suppress that weak. We, can't, we don't want to be weak. And that's what comes out in addiction and abuse and other things. So just breaking that whole belief system down that as men, man, it's okay to say, you know what? When we're communicating, it's about being assertive. Like, you know, that hurt me. Instead of going off and, and losing control and just being, being able to be emotion, emotionally honest. Because so many times we're emotionally dishonest with each other, with our spouse. Instead of being emotionally honest, we're emotionally dishonest. And what happens is we suppress that stuff, we bottle it up, and it comes out later uh, in rage and anger. But when you're assertive, you're able to express how you feel without being disrespectful, without being rude. Don't be passive. Don't be passive-aggressive with the smart, the smart Alec remarks and don't be aggressive but just be assertive and be able to say I feel because of and being able to put it more on me you 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 that's blaming talk all that does is put people in a defense mode and then they get they get ready for a rebuttal so then now you're going back and forth because you 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 she you 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 never instead of I feel I've put them back not making it so much about blaming talk putting it on them because that makes people get defensive and so I think it's the mindset it's, it's just things that I never knew were even abusive things that I thought I'm just being the man you know I'm just I'm just I gotta be strong I gotta show stop right strength. there hold I can't on look weak I know in we front of my children stop just hold on wait a minute whoa Nelly whoa Nelly did y'all hear that see fellas let's dismiss the women out of the room how many of us are abusive and don't know we're being abusive, we think we're being a man. That was me. Because somebody told you, don't let no woman tell you what to do. Yeah, yeah. Because somebody told you, man, check her. Yeah. And so what we call being a man is actually, according to Abu you. Abusive. Abusive. I'm guilty then. Anybody else? Don't y'all, y'all, <laughs> leave me out here by myself. I'm guilty and I, and but, but you know and, and one thing I've learned about men the worst person to ask whether they are abusive or not is them mm. wow wow that accountability oh if you want to find out who a man is ask the woman mm. and you put her in an environment where she feels safe enough to say it where it doesn't get back to him mm. wow Wow. See, see, most women don't tell us what they feel, really, because they're afraid of the abuse. Not you hitting them, not you hitting them physically, but you hitting them over the head with what they say. Mm. That, that's codependent. What happens a lot of times, we become the, the woman. I'm just, and I know women are abusive. People be mad at me. You just act like just a man abusive. No, I know. But, but the thing of it is, is that the woman realizes that the man's emotions affect her mood. So then she tries to control his feelings. So you got, so. <laughs> so, so now. <laughs> His, his emotions. Of Hold on! <laughs> what? Yeah. yeah. Mm -mm. I ain't gonna let you do that to me. I just been telling our preachers, uh, and I told them in staff meeting today, when you, when you hit a nail in the wood, and once you get it situated, you don't move on to another nail. You keep hitting that nail until it get all the way in. Wow. Sir, don't you just <laughs> nail that in and well, leave it halfway you, I, out and I then go find I saw that clock say zero. Why, so I... That's my clock. Listen. <laughs> Sir. <laughs> yeah. Can you, did, did y'all hear what, am I here? So a woman knows. She knows. That his emotions affects her mood. So she tries to control his feelings. So she's no longer herself anymore. She's basically just playing a role every day, trying to manage and control the man's feelings so she can be happy.
There's an old song they used to sing, let the church say, amen. <laughs> let the church say, You got any other knowledge you want to share that's going to help me and my wife go home and have a good oh, conversation yeah. <laughs> today? Baby, did you hear that? That's amazing. Yeah, you got anything else? Nah, it's, 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 it's too much. It's a lot. But it's, it's, um, it's, that's, amazing. That, that, that's really that's important, though, because what happens good. is, the, um, you know, we see so much of that and you stop, you really lose who you are. So what happens when that ha when it happens then is that you, you never have time to work on yourself because you spend your whole relationship trying to control this person's feelings so that you can have happiness. So the whole house, the atmosphere, the whole atmosphere is tense because we got to control this person's feelings so that we can have a, right. a good if, evening. If Cheryl was sitting here, yeah. if Cheryl was sitting here, and, and I know you've already said that, you know, the judge said that you can't, but see, I think, see, sometimes people die before we get to ask for forgiveness. I believe in being able to complete the forgiveness even if the other person isn't available. Yeah, yeah. Okay, if, if she were sitting here, what would you say to her? Uh, I, I would say, and I, you know, I've been blessed to say it to her. Um, you know, at the beginning, that was a, um, a blessing just to, um, that it, it was nothing, you know, and, and I say this, I'm saying with it, it was nothing that she did to deserve what I did. Um, a lot of times they, women or men, whoever's abused feel like, if, like they're responsible, you know, and, and like they could have done something differently. Uh, and that's why I say abuse is a choice. You know, yeah, I didn't have the knowledge I have now to know how bad off it was. If I could have caught it earlier, maybe it would have never got to this place. Um, but I would just say, man, Cheryl was my best friend. She was, I mean, she was my everything. She was my personal assistant. She sung with me. She traveled with me. And I just, I continue to, like I said, the, the courts won't, won't let me talk to her, but they can't stop me from talking to God about her and for her. And so I continue to pray for her. Uh, I continue to ask God to, to, to restore her and to heal her mind, body, and soul. Um, I thank God for what he's doing through her life. She's an awesome, awesome worship leader, and she's torn with Kurt Franklin, and God is allowing her to do some amazing things. And, um, and I just, I, I'm, I'm sorry, forgiven her forgiveness to me uh, meant everything and so we did have a chance to talk early on after it happened about that we hadn't talked of course in a while since then um, but the second hardest part was just forgiving myself friends and colleagues it's time to take action and subscribe to this podcast follow Kian Henderson on social media at Pastor Kian visit the website daily for lifestyle leadership and learning at kianhenderson.com until next time keep leading keep learning and keep doing life